Welcome back to Morning Trade Live. We've got stocks under some pressure as yields rise, Treasury bonds selling off following more decent data on the economy this morning. Let's talk about what it means to investors with Lizanne Saunders, Chief Investment Strategist at the Schwab Center for Financial Research, on the line with us this morning. Uh, so, Lizanne, uh, what stands out to you uh, in the data from today and how it connects with the recent trend? Well, uh, you know, ADP was hotter than expected, and it's, it's not infallible by any means, certainly not in terms of forecasting payrolls, but it was hot. That said, I think there were probably seasonal issues, meaning, I don't want to say calculation errors, but issues uh, similar to what we saw in June of last year that, that might have flattered it on the upside claims ticked back up. A little bit. I think last week's better than expected claims had more to do with a shortened week. So I think the labor market is really in focus, obviously, in advance of tomorrow at 8.30. So pretty big report then tomorrow um, based on where we are in bonds, highs of the year for yield. Is that starting to make this a little bit more dramatic? Um, probably, and it's not just the um, higher nominal yields, it's higher real yields as well, because we haven't seen inflation tick up um, like we have seen yields tick up. So that expands that real yield in light of the strength in the market this year being all multiple expansion, no earnings. The market has gotten uh, more expensive, and I think both higher nominal and real yields is taking a bit of a bite out of uh, certainly the more richly valued segments of, uh, of the market. So I think that's what's in play. Mm. Based on what we've seen in the last couple of weeks, these attempted uh, moments of rotation in the market leadership into groups that might be a little bit more aligned with higher rates, do you see that as compelling enough to carry the stock market? Um, well, if, if we have some convergence by some of the high cap, mega cap, winners um, up until recently, you could see some weakness there, but a pickup by the average stock. And you have seen correlations come down uh, fairly significantly. And so I, I continue to think that the, the, the pace of outperformance of those mega cap names, and in particular, into early June, the dramatic underperformance of the remaining names I think that's likely to correct itself or at least start to correct itself um, in both directions, meaning mm. some give back on some of those names that had driven performance while at the same time you see some broadening out in breadth uh, down the cap spectrum. So to that point, because that's a really important one, I think, is the closing of that gap, the big tech leadership relative to the rest of the stuff that was lagging behind. I mean, we could close any gap in multiple ways. What you're saying is the tech stuff softening up gets there to some degree, and then the other parts start working. So it's not a situation necessarily where everything's going down together, just one's going down less fast. Uh, yeah, I, I, that that to me is the more likely, at least near term, uh, scenario okay. for easing some of that excess. Yes. Okay. Uh, what do you look for in terms of uh, the groups that should work? Then, like, uh, what right now should we associate a little bit more directly with this type of economic backdrop? I, I wouldn't think of it in terms of groups or sectors. I think of it in terms of uh, factors, and and we've talked about this, Oliver, a lot on your show. We continue to emphasize that you stay up in quality in terms of uh, the factors of emphasis. And the ones that we've been focusing on actually give you both growth factor exposure and value factor exposure. So things like strong free cash flow, 
yield, particularly relative to enterprise value, strength of balance sheet broadly, you know, high cash, low debt. Uh, in other words, self-funding companies that don't have to access either the capital markets or the traditional banking system. We're entering into earnings season. I think stocks that have positive earnings revisions and or positive earnings surprises probably fare well in this environment. So it's kind of a quality wrapper, but there's that that combination of growth and value factors therein. Hmm. When I think about quality, uh, just as uh, you know, an example fund, QUAL, some of these that target those factors you're looking for, if you just kind of look at a handful of them, there's going to be oftentimes some of the big tech names pretty predominantly placed in some of those funds. It's not necessarily giving you all the top seven or you know, ten biggest, but a lot of times you will get an alphabet, you'll get a Microsoft in there, and should that not uh, cause us to hesitate from being in that type of factor if it has a few of those big tech names? Well, if, if you're playing a short-term trade and believe you're going to get that convergence in both directions, but what factor-based investing does when you're, when you're using screening tools, it, it puts you in the higher quality names. So it might not give you perfect exposure if you're in one of those kind of rip rallies, but you're right. And in fact, I think there there was a, a bit of a fundamental underpinning to some of those names doing well, which we already talked about, strength of balance sheet, liquidity, wow. all of those. You had the AI kicker as well. It, we just got to a point where there was probably overbought technical conditions, and then you add the rising nominal and real yields, which puts all else equal downward pressure on the highest multiple segments. I think using a factor approach, though, at least keeps you up in quality. Mm, nice. Okay, well said. Uh, Lizanne, I know that uh, you looked back at a few historical periods that might offer us a little bit of uh, guidance. Uh, can you tell me about those? Sure. So if you look at the strength of the NASDAQ as obviously a very broad proxy for some of where the mega cap strength resided, you had the third strongest first half in the history of the NASDAQ, which only goes back wow. to 1972. So it's not it, it's not the same duration length as, uh, as the S&P. But the only two other times where we had larger first half outperformance was in 1975 and 1983. Now, in both cases, the second half of the year, you had declines, I think around 10 or 11 percent. But the maximum drawdown in each of those years in the second half of the year was about 16 percent. The big difference, though, between those two years is 1975. That was actually the start of a cyclical bull market. So you ultimately if you hung in there, you did well. But, of course, it was in the middle of a secular bear market. 1983, of course, was at the beginning of a secular bull market. So if you were able to ride through that give back in the second half, you, you did well. I'm not – I can't say with any confidence where we are in this cycle, whether it's you know secular in nature and cyclical in nature. I think we're all trying to figure it out because of the unique nature of the pandemic cycle. Totally. Well, we will definitely stay posted uh, as you continue to investigate that. Lizanne, thanks a lot for bringing us the info. Thanks, Oliver. And the analysis of the data this morning, Lizanne Saunders, Chief Market Strategist at Schwab Center for Financial Research, staying up in quality and preparing for some convergence between the leaders and the laggards closing in favor of some of the recent laggards as the 10-year yield moves higher past 4%. The two-year is doing it past 5 Should make for an interesting session.